There is a fifth dimension, beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. It lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Dimensions, the Twilight Zone podcast. I'm your host, Bill Couch, and this week we will be looking at Season 1, Episode 12, titled What You Need. This episode was written by Rod Serling. Well, at least the teleplay was written by Rod Serling. But the story was credited to a writer named Lewis Paget, who was actually two writers by the name of Henry Cutner and C.L. Moore. So there's a little bit of trivia right out of the gate. It was directed by Alvin Ganser, produced by Buck Houghton, and in the cast was Steve Cochran, Ernest Truex, Reed Morgan, Arlene Martell, and William Edmondson. Where to Watch is a bit tricky these days because they've taken it off of most conventional streaming services. You can still watch it on 2B TV, Paramount Plus, and occasionally on some cable networks that still will air reruns. And as always, if you have the DVDs or the Blu-rays, you can always watch them there. The original air date was December 25th, 1959. So this is a Christmas Day episode in 1959. Be aware that up ahead are spoilers, trivia, goofs, and just general information about the episode. So if you haven't watched it yet, stop the episode, go watch it, come back, and resume the podcast. Or if you just want to listen to me drone on for the next while about one of the TV shows uh, that I hold near and dear to my heart, then please continue. So without further ado, here is my friend Will Lastly with the opening narration. Take it away, Will. You're looking at a Mr. Fred Renard who carries on his shoulder a chip the size of the national debt. This is a sour man, a friendless man, a lonely, grasping, compulsive, nervous man. This is a man who has lived 36 undistinguished, meaningless, pointless, failure-laden years, and who at this moment looks for an escape, any escape, any way, anything, anybody, to get out of the rut. And this little old man is just what Mr. Renard is waiting for. Thank you, Will. As always, that's my friend Will Lastly, who does the opening and closing narrations for me for each episode, and I do appreciate his contribution. Uh, you can find him on YouTube at Savage Otter Paws, and he does movie reviews, he does acting, comedy, he's really a jack-of-all-trades and a really talented individual. Look him up. Show him some love. 
And now on with the episode. The episode opens strong with one of the best lines that I've heard in pretty much all of Twilight Zone. The bartender, played by William Edmondson, tells Mr. Renard, he says, We sell booze, we don't rent space. And I always love that. I always love that straight out of the box. You get that sort of sassiness, that sort of attitude that starts this episode off, well, on the right foot, I would say. And, of course, Renard gives him, you know, lip and tells him to go take a flying jump at the moon, which is a phrase that I'm sure even in 1959 wasn't really a phrase. I just think they couldn't use the actual words anyone would actually have used in the time on, you know, broadcast television. So we meet Mr. Fred Renard, who, according to Rod Serling, was 36 years old, which, if you know anything about the Twilight Zone and pay attention to the episodes, uh, pretty much every businessman, every protagonist, or every antagonist in the movie, or in the uh, TV series, I might say, um, was around 36 years of age, which most people believe was... Um, because that was pretty much the age Rod was when he started the Twilight Zone. So the setting is this little out-of-the-way little hole-in-the-wall bar that has its share of regular customers. If you've ever been to a bar or visited the same bar several times, you know that in a lot of places and in, in a lot of cities and towns, the same people inhabit the same stool in the same bar all of their lives, or for many years at least. And this place seems like it's no different. Unless uh, this bar happens to be in the Twilight Zone, in which case, walks through the door, Mr. Padot. We don't find his name out until better than halfway through the episode, or give or take halfway through the episode, but I'll go ahead and spoil it here. His name is Mr. Padot. And he is a peddler. Not unlike the peddler from One for the Angels, uh, episode two, season one. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that episode. It's a very good. Uh, it's a very good episode. But Mister Padot is a peddler who wanders into this bar, according to the bartender, seven nights a week. And he gives people what he thinks they need. So Mr. Padot goes over to a woman sitting in a booth. And he asks her if she needed anything. She says she needed a book of matches. And instead of matches, he hands her a little jar of cleaning fluid. Which will get out almost any stain known to man. And he takes no money. And tells her to have a good evening. And he moves on down the line. Now, the interesting thing I found in re-watching this episode for the purposes of doing um, this podcast was that when he looks at people, when he gives them what they need, when and you watch the episode, he gives that woman the cleaning fluid. He gives another guy a bus ticket to Scranton, Pennsylvania. He gives Mr. Renard 
you know, things. And he has this look on his face that uh, that Ernest Truex does really well playing Mr. Padat. He has this look on his face, almost like uh, if you've seen the movie, if you've seen the movie The Dead Zone, starring Christopher Walken, or any of the parodies that Christopher Walken has done of it, uh, he has these these eyes and this look in his eyes as if he can see into their soul and Ernest Truex kind of does it somewhat um, over the top but also in a way very understated that he really sort of sells the idea that he can see what they need more than just a book of matches or what have you so after the cleaning fluid lady he goes to the bar where sits a man named Lucky and he and the bartender are talking and he tells Lucky that the old guy comes in here every night telling people that he has what they need and giving them what they need and Lefty says that he doesn't think he has what Lefty needs and the old man says what do you need and Lefty says he winds up he needs a new left arm because he used to be a professional baseball pitcher but he threw his arm out and can no longer become a professional baseball player but baseball is the only thing he knew his entire life so for him to do anything else is at least in his mind absurd so Padot in his um, heretofore unknown at least in origin, his gift gives Mr. Lucky a best ticket to Scranton, Pennsylvania. So, about this time, Lucky gets a phone call at the bar, as you do if you occupy a bar stool for any kind of time. People know you're there. And Lucky gets a phone call from a guy that he used to play ball with who set him up with a job to be a coach of a baseball team in you guessed it Scranton Pennsylvania and he wants him to go there and meet the general manager and take a bus to get there and so during this whole exchange Mr. Renard is watching next thing you know Lucky says well gee I'd really like to make a good impression when I meet the general manager of the potential bald club that I'll be coaching for and wouldn't you know it my my suit jacket has a spot on it if only I could have a better suit jacket to which the woman with the stain remover pops up and helps him to get the stain out of his jacket and they walk off into the night together never to be seen again so at this point Renard realizes that the old man might be able to provide him with what he needs or at least let me say what he wants not necessarily what he needs because as we all know as we've all been around long enough we know that what we want and what we need are usually two different things entirely so Renard takes his eyes off the prize, the prize of course being Mr. Padot, for a brief minute, and Mr. Padot exits stage left, out the door, 
into the night. So Renard follows him outside and starts to accost him and asking him, you know, what do I need, old man? What do you got in there for me? And Padot, without even looking into his case, reaches in and grabs a pair of scissors and hands them to Renard. So Renard reluctantly takes them, but, uh, you know, he's a, he's a very edgy character, um, almost cartoonishly in, in a way, in, in, in my opinion, if I may give my opinion, and I may, because after all, this is my podcast, so I will give my opinion. It's almost cartoonish in a way, the amount of, uh, nonviolent violence this man portrays in this this episode but regardless Renard goes home on his way up to his uh, apartment or hotel room or whatever he's living in uh, his scarf gets stuck in the door of the elevator and in order to free himself he uses his scissors to cut his scarf off thereby saving himself from being choked to death in the elevator so in a in a I don't want to say bizarre scene transition or in the next scene but it, it, it I I wish this episode would be longer because it would explain this next scene where Mr. Padot comes home to his apartment to find Mr. Renard sitting in the dark in a chair in his living room waiting on him and I I never really thought this scene fit because Renard wouldn't be the kind of guy that would break into somebody's apartment and sit and wait for him he they portray him in this in this episode as the type of guy that would just as soon spread Mr. Padot all over the sidewalk and steal every everything on his person rather than to do something albeit slightly but albeit more cunning than mindless cartoon-like violence that his character basically is portrayed as being capable of. So Renard kind of figured it out. Um, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure that out, but you know he uh, he figures out that Padot, through some form or fashion, can see the future at least in the briefest of instances. He can see the future. And Renard basically says he wants to make him a partner. And basically what he wants to do is exploit the old man's gift so that he can gain money and fame and a life of luxury and no longer having to to scratch and, and claw to get anything in the world that he has, which arguably isn't much. So he continues to harass Mr. Padot until Mr. Padot gives him what's what you know what he needs next, which turns out to be a leaky uh, leaky fountain pen, which of course you know Renard in his you know boorish kind of ways you know threatens to physically assault Mr. Padot for giving him a leaky fountain pen. And it just so happens that the fountain pen ink drips down onto a newspaper lying on the floor, which just happens to be open. 
to the next day's racing form and the drop of ink drops right onto a horse's name running at the track the next day. So Renard puts two and two together. Amazingly, he can add that much. And he goes to the track the next day and he bets big on the horse and he wins, or at least big enough for him as much as he had, and he wins $240, which which is uh, roughly about $2,300 in today's money. Uh, so a decent little payday, you know. He's not going to buy a house, but he's not going to go hungry for a while anyway. And so Renard tries to, of course, the next day after he won, he tries to use the pen again. The pen is completely dry of ink. No ink will come out, meaning he can't pick any more winners with the pen. So he finds Padot on the street, and he threatens him again. He says, you know, what are you trying to pull here, old man? You know, and uh, the old man said that, you know, the things that you need, you only need once, and then they're useless, basically. And he then says one of the one of the other great lines uh, from this episode where Padot tells Renard that what he needs Padot cannot supply and what he needs are serenity and peace of mind and a sense of humor and the ability to laugh at oneself and what a sentiment what a sentiment that is uh in 1960 and 1959 and even in today's age I think uh, I think that's appropriate that we should all strive to have serenity and peace of mind and a sense of humor and the ability to laugh at oneself so Renard asks him again what does he need and Padot gives it to him he gives him a pair of shoes a pair of loafers and Renard says oh okay I, I put these on and I walk somewhere and then I, I find what I need is that how this works pops and you know Padat says oh they're they're what you need and Renard puts them on and he says hey these are these are leather sole I don't like leather sole shoes they're very slippery and he kind of gets the idea that Padot was was messing with him and so he goes to run after Padot and he winds up not being able to gain any traction and gets run over by a car that's speeding down the street in not the greatest piece of stunt work or camera work that I've ever seen even in an episode of the Twilight Zone that's seven years old uh, it, it wasn't the greatest, but you get the point across that Renard couldn't get out of the way and he gets struck by a moving vehicle and of course subsequently passes away and you get Mr. Padot whose attitude, whose demeanor from being a meek, mild, scared in his, in his boots sort of old man kind of almost turns cold and, and, and looks at Renard's dead body and says, you know, when I, when I saw your face at the bar 
I saw death in your eyes, and not your death, but mine, and so I knew I had to do something about it. The shoes weren't what you needed. They were what I needed. And I always thought that was really the, the really the capstone on on the writing of this episode that it was it was so fitting that you know, this old man basically to keep from getting murdered because eventually he would have eventually Renard would have snapped and probably taken him out. In order to prevent that he himself had to cause Renard's death. And then in true Twilight Zone fashion, the episode ends with, of course, uh, people crowding around to see the dead body of the guy that got hit by the car that sped away. And the, you know, the coroners and the cops come to collect the body and collect evidence. And of course, reporters are there. And uh, this old couple come out of their apartment onto the street and Padot is standing there and and uh, he looks at the guy and he says, you know, do you need anything? And the old guy says, what do I need? I don't need anything. And Padot looks at him and he says, well, here, I think you need this. And he hands him a comb for his hair because his hair was very disheveled because he was sleeping. You know, he and his wife are standing out on the street in their robes. And right after he hands him the comb a news reporter comes up and asks to take the couple's picture and so the wife says well you know hey, make yourself look presentable and he grabs the comb out of his pocket and combs his hair just in time for the picture to be snapped and you know, of course he gives the comb a look and puts it back in his pocket and that's the end of the episode so quite a fun fanciful not necessarily happy, but definitely poignant and definitely uh, very well done episode of The Twilight Zone concludes. So with that, let's listen to the closing narration by Will Lastly. Take it away, Will. Street scene, night, traffic accident. Victim named Fred Renard. A gentleman with a sour face to whom contentment came with difficulty. Fred Renard, who took all that was needed in the Twilight Zone. Uh, once again, thanks, Will, for the closing narration. So let's move on and talk about the people in the episode. So the director was Alvin Ganser, who was born on August 27, 1911, and passed away on June 3rd. I'm sorry, on January 3rd, 2009. And he moved to California as a young man and began uh, appearing as extras, as, you know, in, in extra roles in pictures. And he moved up to working as an assistant director and a second unit director on a bunch of films in the 40s and the 50s. And uh, his first... Uh, directing job where he was the director was uh, 1947's Midnight Serenade starring Peggy Lee uh, the singer if uh, anyone over the you know age of 40 knows who I'm talking about um, Peggy Lee of course the singer she was also an actress 
and uh, co-starring Richard Webb. Uh, he went on direct uh, several episodes of various TV shows like Bonanza, Quincy Medical Examiner, and uh, he also directed four episodes of The Twilight Zone, including this one, The Hitchhiker, Nightmare as a Child, and The Mighty Casey. Now, if you're a fan of The Twilight Zone, and I would assume you would be if you're listening to me drone on and on and on and on and on and on about this uh, television show through podcast, three of um, the four episodes, I guess you can include this one as three of the four that he directed, are very highly praised, very, very widely known uh, episodes of the show. Um, the The low point of his directing uh, of these episodes would, of course, be The Mighty Casey, often panned as a uh, a little too fanciful, a little too not-quite-Twilight-Zone-y, Twilight Zone, not a very big fan favorite although there are of course people that love it and people that love you know other episodes that might be critically panned or not necessarily loved by the fans but that's why we have opinions and that's why everyone has them and if you like it you like it if you don't you don't but uh i find that that to me, at least, the mighty Casey is the the lowest point of the four that the, that Alvin Ganser directed. Now, Steve Cochran played Fred Renard. He was born on May twenty fifth, nineteen seventeen, and he passed away on June fifteenth, nineteen sixty five. He has sixty seven IMDb credits to his name. Um. The interesting thing about Steve Cochran was the circumstances surrounding his death. Um, He was found dead on his yacht at the age of 48, floating off the coast of South America. Now, he happened to be uh, on on his yacht with three assistants of Mexican descent. Um, None of them knew how to operate a boat, and it drifted for ten days after he died before being found by the authorities. And, of course, the authorities didn't really care to look into the matter too much, into the matter of his death too closely, and he was listed as dying of an acute lung infection, most thought poisoning. He appeared in many films and TV shows, of course, um, 67 to be exact, according to his IMDb. Um, But he had a reputation of being a bad boy, and he was a person very well loved by the tabloid news industry. And uh, honestly, most everything I could find about him um, didn't really talk much about his movie and television roles as much as it talked about his mysterious death so I mean he was 
in an episode of The Twilight Zone in 1959 and six years later was found dead on his yacht from mysterious circumstances. Um, it even went so far as to his uh, one of his estranged um, paramours, one of his, strange, his estranged lovers, actually begged the police to investigate the death but they just couldn't be bothered and so his death to this day mostly remains a mystery so we move on to the man of the hour Mr. Padot played by Ernest, Ernest Truex who was born September 19th 1889 and he died June 26th nineteen and seventy three. So one of the one of the older players from the uh to appear on the Twilight Zone, one of the elderly to appear on an episode of the Twilight Zone. Um he has hundred and thirty four IMDB credits to his name. He started acting, of course, uh in silent films. The first one being the short named Caprice he worked steady throughout his career in movies, mostly, uh, you know, up through the 50s, where he started playing in TV shows like Suspense, Danger, The Schlitz Playhouse, and The U.S. Steel Hour. His last credit was for an episode of Petticoat Junction, which... Um, most people believe it was a spinoff of Green Acres, but it was in fact not a spinoff of Green Acres. Uh, and most, by most people, I say myself. I always thought it was a spinoff of Green Acres, or Green Acres was a spinoff of it. And it in fact wasn't. They were two separate shows. They just happened to, on TV, exist in the same universe. Which is rather odd, in my opinion. But that's why it's my opinion, and... I'm not a factual writer of of television history. Um, however, um, he was in two episodes of The Twilight Zone. He was, of course, in this episode, and then he was in the episode Kick the Can, where he played the father of his real-life son, Barry Truex. So that's kind of interesting, and stay tuned eventually through time and... Uh, dimensions we will get to the episode kick the can which is another one that is very well loved by critics and fans alike of the twilight zone so let's move on to trivia for the episode the uh the paper that the bellhop gives mr renard uh the day he won the $240 at the track. He had another paper brought up to his room by the bellhop, and the bellhop gives Mr. Renard the paper, and the paper that he gives him is the same paper that Burgess Meredith character was reading in Time Enough at Last. So if you remember that episode, um, if you do not remember it or you haven't heard it, please go back and listen to it. It's only a few episodes back. Go back and listen to Time Enough at Last with Burgess Meredith. It is also um, one of the bigger, better, faster, stronger, longer 
most loved, well-received episodes of the Twilight Zone. Um, it's really just, it's, it's fantastic acting, fantastic filmmaking, well done all the way around. And uh, Birds just really knocks it out of the park on that one. But it's the same paper, which of course means they just use the same prop over and over again. And the paper will show up again in other episodes. Um, and then, of course, in that paper, uh, some of the names of the jockeys of the horses for the races, including uh, crew members' names, including Serling's name. Uh, so just a little aside. Of course, if you're watching on a 13-inch black-and-white TV in 1959, you're probably not going to notice that sort of thing. Um, the writers... Um, were it was credited as Lewis Paget, but as I discussed earlier, it was uh, Henry Cutner and C. L. Moore who used the pseudonym of Lewis Paget to write things. The original story um, was adapted by the writers for an episode of Tales of Tomorrow from seven years prior to this episode of The Twilight Zone. So this. This uh, story had not only been done before, it wasn't an original story, but it had already been on TV on an episode of a different anthology sh uh, series before The Twilight Zone. Uh, except in the, in the, in the story that, that the, both television adaptations were taken off of, uh, in the story, the fortune-telling or the... the thing that could see the future wasn't uh, a diminutive old man it was actually a a machine that could tell the future uh, be it as it may and this of course was changed by Serling who wrote the teleplay for this episode and he decided to put it instead of a machine in the form of a milk toast old man who went around and peddled to people for what they needed for uh, little to no money, if any money at all. And, of course, if you pay attention, you can uh, notice that this, this same idea of a machine telling the future uh, would later be used in the Twilight Zone episode, Nick of Time. And lastly but not leastly, the British post-punk band The Fall wrote and performed a song inspired by this episode titled What You Need. Now, of course, um, this sort of idea, um, an old man or a person that has some sort of insight into the future and gives people what they need, was also the inspiration for a lot of things, including um, Stephen King's Needful Things and various other you know, television programs and movies throughout the years. I'd like to be able to credit it to Serling, but obviously someone wrote it, uh, give or take 20 years before he used it, about 15 years. It was the original story was written in 1945 for a scientific, um, or science fiction magazine. So of course, Serling didn't actually write it. He just adapted it for his television show which uh which is why we're here today and uh i must say 
that I think he did a wonderful job. Now, on to the, uh, the flubs and the goofs and the oopses of the episode. Um, Lefty says in the episode that he's he doesn't know who Padat is, never seen Padat before, even though both of them basically live in the bar seven days a week. You know, Lefty is in there every night drinking, trying to forget that he had a baseball career, and Padat comes in there every night peddling his wares to give people what they might need if they might need anything. And somehow these two people never connected in the entire time that both of them were coming into the same bar together. Another goof that uh, I thought was weird, and you kind of have to watch to uh, see this one, but in the scene after Padot enters the bar, there is a shot that is a close-up of Renard, and the shot is actually played backwards. Um, if you watch the smoke from Renard's cigarette, instead of going from the cigarette out goes back to the cigarette because the scene is actually played in reverse. And uh, another piece of, another goof, I should say, um, his scarf that he was wearing around his neck was in no way knotted, so he kind of almost wasn't really in any danger of being suffocated by it being caught in the elevator. All he basically had to do was, you know, stand in a circle and turn around once or twice and the scarf would have come off his neck so there was really no need uh, for him to have the scissors at the time. And lastly, uh, when Renard puts on the leather-soled shoes and goes to run away, you can see on the ground that there is a slippery substance on the ground to help him slide and not be able to gain traction and therefore be able to be hit by the car. Of course, the slippery substance there for the actor or the stunt man to, you know, make it look like he cannot gain traction. Now, on to likes and dislikes of the episode. Uh, I thought that Steve Cochran did a good job playing the heavy of the episode, playing, of course, Mr. Renard. Um, Although it was somewhat one-dimensional, um, you could buy that, that he had a very commanding presence as a uh, person not to be trifled with. And in the same vein, I really loved uh, Ernest Truex as Pedot. I thought he brought a, a, a sense of foreboding, a sense of doom, wrapped up in a tiny little old man that looks like he wouldn't hurt a fly but yet he caused the death of Mr. Renard all to save his own hide and he he, he played him very well he played him uh, it's, it's a very good performance uh, albeit for you know a 1959 black and white television show but literally one of the best television shows that was ever created, in my opinion, which is why I do this podcast. I do it as a labor of love. I make no money. Matter of fact, I lose money doing this thing. So uh, it's a labor of love. And boy, what a show to love, let me tell you. Um, the dislikes of it. Um, 
I didn't care for the pacing of the episode too much. It was slow, and then it was quick, and then it was slow, and then it was quick, and then there was that whole scene change where uh, it was rather out of character that Renard would be sitting in Padat's room waiting on him. How did he know where Padat lived? How did he find him? And if he had the time to, you know, wander around and follow Padat and do all that, he could have just accosted him on the street instead of waiting in his room. So, as I said, it seemed very out of character uh, for him to be doing that. And so, in that vein, this is another episode that I would have loved to have seen kind of be stretched a little longer. I don't think an hour would do it, but I think definitely it wouldn't have hurt to have another 10 minutes of screen time just to kind of fix some of the, some of the, the not not plot holes necessarily, but fix some of the story and some of the pacing. You know, it, it could have been better. That being said, um, this episode to me is one of the episodes that if you were going to show someone a, um, if you're going to show someone a Twilight Zone episode, granted, this is not quintessential Twilight Zone. If you had one episode to show someone, you would show them, you know, a Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, or you'd show them, um, Walking Distance, or you'd show them, um, Time Enough at Last with Burgess Meredith, The Shelter, uh, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. There are other episodes that you could show people and be like, this, this is Twilight Zone. But in a more understated, in a more demure way, and this is really about the best word I can think of in my limited um, half-brained vocabulary, um, this is a very demure, very understated episode of of the of a quintessential Twilight Zone episode because you have a man who can tell the future but he chooses to use it for good instead of evil and when someone tries to make him do it for evil instead of good he rectifies the situation in the only way that he knows how by using his gift so in a way given that this is an episode from Christmas you could almost say that uh, Mr. Padot was Santa Claus not in the way that Art Carney portrays Santa Claus in Night of the Meek which is another Twilight Zone episode we'll get there but I think this is you know Padot is in fact an embodiment of Santa Claus he uses his good you know, he uses his power for good instead of evil. And he punishes the naughty, so to speak. As well as through the episode, um, the musical cues are all um, a slowed down rendition of God rest you merry gentlemen. So if you listen to that, it's it's got Christmas music in it because it's a Christmas episode. Whether you want to believe it or not, it's a Christmas episode. And once again, that's my opinion. Take it 
leave it. Write me an email. Tell me I'm wrong. Fine with me. I love to hear any kind of feedback you got. So, on to the moral or philosophy of this episode. Um, I think it's a. I think it's a. It's a basis of good and evil. I think Serling used this and used it specifically for the Christmas episode um, to show people right from wrong to, to show people that there are good in the world and that if you have a talent if you have something that maybe no one else has or maybe very few people have you always have the option to use what, you, what you've been given from God from whoever you believe in you've been given the the talents that you have and you can choose them to either use them for good or you can use them for evil and I think the moral of this story I think what Serling was trying to get to was that we all have that choice and we can all use our talents for good or evil and the good should always win and that's been a that's a recurring theme throughout all of the Twilight Zone is that the good should always win. And I think maybe even more to a to a similar degree through Mr. Padot's words, he, he wanted Mr. Serling wanted us to be able to get ourselves some serenity, some peace of mind maybe even a sense of humor and the ability to laugh at oneself. Because if you've ever watched any interviews that Rod Serling gave uh, in his later years, he definitely seemed like he had serenity. It seemed like he had a peace of mind, not necessarily like others might have, but it seemed like he had a peace of mind and it also seemed like he definitely had a sense of humor and he definitely had the ability to laugh at himself. And I think that's a not necessarily too common thing these days. And I think it's something that we should all strive to maybe improve upon in ourselves. And I think maybe that's what Rod was going for here. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. Write me an email. Let me know. Let me know what you think. All right. So if Hollywood were to call me, yes, Hollywood, the the entirety of the show business industry were to call me and say, Bill, we're going to redo the Twilight Zone and we're going to remake the episodes and we want you to cast each episode. How would you cast each episode? Who, what, what? actor or actress would you put in the roles today and I would say Hollywood here's what I would do now I'm going to switch things up a little bit and you'll hear why when we get to listener feedback but I'm going to switch things up a little bit I'm now from now on I'm going to be equal I'm going to spread equality and I'm going to spread gender equality and for every main role I am going to give who I would cast as a man and who I would cast as a woman in the same role. So, 
for Mr. Padot, I'm going to give a man and a woman's name. For Renard, I'm going to give a man and a woman's name. But for the supporting characters, we're not going to play the the double game. It's just going to be for the main protagonist and antagonist of the series or of the show. So for Mr. Renard, if I were casting it today uh, for Mr. Renard, I would choose Michael B. Jordan, who is a talented, talented young man who I think would nail the 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 menacing aspect uh, that this role definitely requires. And he's definitely um, a physical enough actor even without being physical to pull off that sort of uh, that sort of role. Now, for the female Mr. Renard Mrs. Renard or Miss Renard I would choose and this is going to be a controversial but I would choose Emily Blunt because she has she has a look about her that could definitely be menacing. Now, I'm not saying she would be the toughest person on the planet, but she definitely has a sense of toughness about her that I think would lead uh would would lend very very hard credence to this role, and I think she would knock it out of the park to be honest with you. So, for Mr. Padot, for Mr. Padot, I would cast Danny DeVito. Um, Literally one of the greatest actors living today. Um, Extremely versatile, extremely funny, but can also be extremely kind-hearted and extremely menacing all at the same time. And I think he he would really bring a sense of really bring a sense of professionalism of of knowledge and of skill to this role that would just that would absolutely murder it now for Mrs. Padot or Miss Padot Sally Field she has that sort of motherly kindness in her eyes and in her face and in her mannerisms but she also has that Norma Ray not going to take it sort of attitude that she can switch on and off like a light switch and I think she would really really excel at this kind of thing now for Lefty um, you know what Chris Klein from the American Pie movies if you remember that dude because oddly enough the character um, the guy that played the character in the Twilight Zone <laughs> looks oddly similar to Chris Klein and so I would choose Chris Klein and the spot remover woman let's just do a uh, an American Pie reunion and let's bring in Mina Savari to be that woman and lastly but not leastly for the bartender let's put a big actor in a small role let's bring Mr. Samuel L. Jackson to be the bartender so for next week's episode uh, we have an episode where four people die with one bullet so the four of us are dying 
will be the next episode that we will do. But before we go, let's do a little cleanup and let's have a little listener feedback. And so I got an email from Mr. Rudy Moreno or Marino. I hope I pronounced it correctly, who said, discovered this channel on iHeartRadio and I fell in love with it. I'm also a big Twilight Zone fan. I like your selection of uh, actor suggestions for remake episodes. Some really good ideas on actors you have. And while listening to your suggestions for replacing Earl Holloman, I thought outside the box and thought of a female actress, specifically Jessica Chastain in the role. Honestly, that's a great idea. I think she would... Wow, I think she'd do great. I could see her as a fairly competent space astronaut going through isolation training and as she experiences the various types of scenarios in the abandoned town, she is talking to herself and rationalizing her experiences to try to make sense of it all until she finally breaks. Anyway, thanks for the great job on the Twilight Zone podcast episode summaries and keep up the good work. Rudy from Texas. Thank you very much, Rudy. I appreciate the feedback. Keep them coming. Tell me, you know, um, get back with me again. Um, and and it was actually Rudy's comment that um, got me to, to realize that I was being very one-sided and only casting, you know, keeping the casting similar with men and men and women and women. And so... I'm now changing things up, and I'm going to do, like I said, and I'm going to have a woman and a man for each of the main protagonist roles. So, the old clock on the wall says that uh, that I wasted enough of your time. That's all the listener feedback we have. Um, but if you would like to, if anyone out there listening, all 12 of you who are listening to these episodes, if you would, drop me a line. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Call me ugly. Insult my mother. Whatever you want to do. Shoot me an email. I will uh, I will do my best to read them all. If you give me permission. If you would. Also when you, <laughs> when you email me. If you email me. Uh, let me know whether I can use your comments on the podcast or not. I always like to make sure I have permission. Before I start putting people's you know emails out there to the. Well, to the 12 of you that are listening. Um, so if you would, if you have any sort of comments, questions, feedback, uh, uh, anything, feel free to email me at dimensionstzpodcast at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. But the clock on the wall says it's time for me to go. So until next time. Have a good night.